the museum has been talking about doing something on fashion for quite a while now and we were lucky enough to get some arts council money to scope out some ideas for exhibitions and we employed a freelance researcher who came up with this narrative about men's fashion which was really interesting because I don't think there's really been many exhibitions on men's fashion at all. So it allowed us to explore the Jewish companies that really helped to move on men's fashion and to they were really at the forefront of a lot of the changes that happened over 150 years. Obviously we start at the beginning with mm-hmm. why Jews are so associated with mm. tailoring. Well, I don't, I don't think there's one answer to why, and I think we're probably just coming up with different theories, but um, there's, there's a couple of reasons why tailoring might be so embedded in the Jewish community. First of all, there's a, a religious requirement for very strictly Orthodox Jews not to mix certain fibres, which meant that um, Jewish tailors tended to be employed by Jewish communities, and then tailoring became very embedded within those communities. And then secondly... Um, Jews living in the Russian Palace settlement were restricted in the occupations they could carry out. So a lot of them worked in artisan trades, including tailoring. And I think in the late 19th century, one in four Jews in the Pale of Settlement was in some way involved in the clothing trade. And then when thousands of Jews migrate to Britain um, in the same period, they bring those skills with them. And then equally, um, if you're a an immigrant setting up in a country where you don't necessarily understand the language. Tailoring is something that you can set up quite easily because all you need to get is a sewing machine, some of the equipment. Um, you don't necessarily need to be fluent in English yet. You know, you can you can carry out the work on behalf of other employers or for some they're able to kind of set up their own businesses which then go on to be very successful. Mm. I, um, don't I remember in Fiddler on the Roof that models are tailored, I think when they all immigrate, I think he takes his sewing machine. And and he doesn't, he's got the skills, hasn't he? Yeah, so yeah, it's very, very typical, I think, to take your skills with you. The earliest object Mm. is from 1804, and it's a print of an old clothes man. And I think that's where we really start with Mm. the Jewish community and their relationship with the clothing trade in Britain. So many Jews were selling old clothes. And this is actually quite interesting because it's a thing we see over and over again. You know, now it's very fashionable to to buy vintage Mm. clothing, secondhand clothing. But this was a real starting point for Jews who'd settled in the 18th century to peddle goods. And it says a lot about um, how people bought clothes at the time as well. If you were from the lower classes, you wouldn't have been able to afford to buy new clothes. It was only the upper classes that could afford to do that. So they performed quite an important role. It's actually a rather beautiful print, but it sort of vaguely reminds me of Fagin, though. You know, he's sort yes, of skulking well, yes. along, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, a bit of a stereotype. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. But even so, very important that you've, yes. you've got it. And then we go straight past some buttons. Yeah, and so we've got some, we've got that, some yeah. very typical tailoring implements here, mm. of which we have many in our collection. So we only touch upon this briefly because I think it's a very well-known story mm. of the Jewish involvement in tailoring Mm. and what we wanted to do with the exhibition was touch upon it but Mm. talk much more about fashion and about high street fashion so we're not looking at the tiny tailoring workshops we're really looking at Jewish companies that Mm. really made an impact on the high street and the man was peacock yes (laughs) yeah oh the strike that's extraordinary this is 1889 and obviously um there were lots and lots of kind of issues with the tailoring trade. You know, it was very much in the national consciousness about sweating mm. and the yes. problems with sweating. Sweat a lot shops, of yeah. many Jews mm. who'd come to Britain were working in very, very poor conditions. So we wanted to touch upon this a little bit in the exhibition, obviously. And we've got this wonderful um, poster from the Great Strike of 1889, where tailors in the East End uh, made certain demands and they were able to... Um, 
win a ten and a half hour day um, and limits on overtime as well as part of the strike. Yeah. I mean, eight, eight to eight with an hour for dinner and half an hour for tea, we'd think that was pretty draconian now, but mm. that was probably fantastic then. Yeah, mm. well, yeah, mm. and I mean, you could argue that this is, obviously, it's still mm. going on in other countries, mm. much kind of longer working hours. Yeah, yeah. of course, yeah. yes. We must talk about Moses and Son because he was awfully good at marketing, and I suppose, was it, suppose yeah, it's the so first emporia. Um, two, we've got two companies at the beginning of the exhibition that were really huge companies but they've pretty much been forgotten they do get talked about a bit within kind of fashion mm. histories but um they were really important because they uh made ready to wear clothing and they made ready to wear clothing that was affordable for a wider sex- section of society and um this was at a time when ready to wear clothing it was really in its, in its infancy as an, as an industry um and they were also great at um advertising they Advertising was a very new industry at the time, but they produced these lovely um, pamphlets where they advertised their goods, they advertised the idea of the gentleman, even though probably much of their clientele were not particularly kind of of the high classes. Um, and they really promoted themselves as providing fashionable clothing, so it wasn't just clothing for kind of utilitarian use. They wanted to show themselves as a fashionable clothing company. I'm sure, you know, there were lots of arguments about whether their clothing was was of particularly good quality, but what we have here are how the company wanted to portray themselves. So we've got this wonderful quote here from an E-Moses and some pamphlet from 1860 where they say, the public were amazed to find that we could give ready-made suits that a Beau Brummel would have been proud to wear at prices that a mechanic could afford to pay. That's which is very a clever. brilliant mm. quote. Yes, well done, the copywriter there. Yes. <laughs> and they're stuffing rhyme as well. And then, of course, who wouldn't want this gorgeous dandified waistcoat? Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. I think what's, mm. what's really nice about this is when I found this in the design registers at the National Archives... It's a print, What's it? wonderful... Print? Well, it's yeah. a reproduction mm. of a, um, a drawing, I think, a paint... Mm. Um, a design so they mm. they submitted this to the board of trade for copyright protection it's a duplex waistcoat so it's a reversible waistcoat oh, and it's in it, and it's red on one side and blue on the other and what i think oh, is lovely <laughs> what's lovely about it is it it kind of um contradicts the idea mm. that men's clothing in this period is kind of dark and boring it's actually this really shows that it's very colorful absolutely stunning yeah. even the the satin of the, the sort of backing is just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. So it's Moses and should we so, pro- and this and is Home and Co. Mm-hmm. So they were even bigger actually. This company, they at their peak, um, they employed around eight thousand people in I think in factories and even larger numbers out workers. Um, so they were they were huge, and again they were making ready to wear clothing. And we've got an example of some of their clothing oh. here. Wonderful. We've got a dress coat which was made by them. Gorgeous. Actually, this is a, a bespoke coat. <laughs> so they did produce bespoke clothing as well as ready-made, and we've also got a top hat. And this dates from around the early 1900s. Oh right, you know, because yeah. it's a, cu- a cutaway one, isn't yeah, it? So rather than a frock coat. Yeah. So mm-hmm. at this time, this style would have no longer been worn during the day. It would have mm. probably been just worn in the evenings for formal occasions. That's what it looks like. Yeah. Beautiful. And as we go round, I mean, there are lovely big blow-up photographs of shop fronts and so forth. Yeah. So, you know, you really you drop us into the atmosphere yeah. very well. Yeah, well, I, I think, think an important part of the story is how the position of these companies on the high street and Burton, the photo we're looking at now is of a Burton shop front in East Ham um, in the 1930s. And Burton were, by this point, were part of every high street. You know, they would have been on every high street in the country, probably, 
and they had these beautiful shop fronts. There was a real change in the way that um, the merchandise was presented. Burton um, also had billiard halls at the top of every shop, so they would oh. draw men into the shop mm. by providing, providing these billiard halls. And I've um, got a picture of them all in their waistcoats with their cues and, their, yes. and, their, and all the rest <laughs> of it too. Right, yeah. Um, and Burton were providing something a bit different, which was what was known as wholesale bespoke. So they were made to measure suits, but they were made in a factory, so they were much cheaper. But it was this idea that you could get a, a made-to-measure suit but a much cheaper cost. Mm. And again, we've got a brilliant quote from uh, Montague Burton from 1937, where he says, Today clothes no longer divide the masses from the classes. Masters and men rub shoulders in the crowd, and no one can tell one from the other. Well, so there's a real democratisation of clothing going on. That's rather wonderful. And then, and then again, you've got, we recognise those advertisements with men's suits they were, uh, from the, the 19, 1930s. Yes, yeah. I thought they were, yeah. yeah. I suppose they remind one really of, of American films, don't they? And that's probably what they're meant to do. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, with the wide lapels, very broad shoulders, mm. they really emphasise masculinity. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's what I mean. They've all Which, got hats. You know, this yeah. suit mm. over here does very much. Mm. Um, this suit is from 1936 from Burton, and you can see the lapels are very wide. Mm. the waist is quite fitted and I mean this is I think this is quite interesting because it's at a time when men are really having to prove their place after mm. the economic crash it's quite difficult for men mm. I think and this really helps to emphasize their presence mm. um, in the workplace yes, it's a big suit yeah. it's a pinstripe but as you say it's funny because that all came back didn't it that look I mean looks you know the white lapel went and comes and goes doesn't it well I think mm. this sh exhibition shows that mm. all of these styles are coming mm. and going mm. yeah mm. Ah, oh, that's what I've been waiting for, Marks and Spencer. I'm loving this because it says their, f their first motto was don't ask the price, it's a penny. So long mm. before the pound shop, there was the penny shop. Well, yes, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, it's a very yeah, useful yeah. comparison, I think. Um, Marks and Spencer, they s originally were selling kind of haberdashery and small goods, and they only really went into clothing in the 20s and 30s. Um, and they were more, I guess they were more known for... Uh, making women's ready-to-wear clothes, but they started to also have men's clothing. So here we've got a photograph of a shirt display. Um, we've got an ad we've got an advertisement for men and boys clothing. So we've got boys tweed knickers. I'm not I'm not sure. <laughs> tweed knickers. I'm not sure. Sounds so uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> means knickerbockers. Possibly, yeah. Um, and. You know, th this was really geared towards kind of working class men, very affordable clothing. Oh, I know what it is. It's short trousers. Look, boys ah. navy or grey flannel knickers. Because right. little boys only wore short trousers. Right. I'm sure it must yeah, be yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, I never thought of them being called knickers. Mm. <laughs> we should mention Mossbrus here. Oh, of well, course. Who, um, yeah, mm. I mean, Mossbrus um, obviously still exists today and they still have their hire service, mm. which was originally founded in 1897. We've got a leaflet here, probably from the 1950s, talking about their evening wear hire service. And obviously they established that this at a time when men didn't really want to um, invest in buying formal clothing because they didn't mm. wear it that mm. much. So the hire service allowed them to have the means to hire something for, the, for an evening or for a wedding or, or whatever. And Mossbrus also had lots of other departments in their store in Covent Garden. So they had a riding department, they had a military department, mm. they sold hunting kit, they sold, um, I think, fishing out, you know, all sorts mm. of things. And so their Covent Garden store is like a big department store, really, full mm. of different types of But stuff that you could hire. Yeah. What I, again, something really to look out for is these, these beautiful 
it's a page from the riding catalogue. Mm. Of course, that means you've got the wonderful hunting red, which is great yes. to look at, isn't it? And this catalogue's mm. quite interesting because they actually used colour photography. Mm. This is from 1938. And mm. you can see all of the other catalogues we've got here are all illustrated, but this mm. is actually using photography for the first yeah. time. This one I love, though. I mean, th again, this reminds me of the Thin Man films or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's, a, you know, these gorgeous tailored men and they've got walking sticks and it's in the time yeah. when it was very elegant to offer someone a light. And, and they've got moustaches, they've got yeah. hats, they've got a decanter. It, you know, it's a lifestyle they're peddling here. Yes, completely. Like, you can see in all of these uh, catalogues and you know the Burton's ones as well they're really um, promoting this idea of um, the gentleman elegance and style and these companies w weren't high-end but they were trying to promote that in their advertising. Before we leave Moss Bros, so who are the brothers Moss? So um, the company was founded by Moses Moses who then became Moses Moss and his two, I think his three sons actually took over after he died. And then the company was in the family, I think up until the 1970s, 80s. So it was in the family for over 100 years. And uh, obviously the end of the war was, was meant that men wanted again to emerge, you know, fr from their uniforms into something brighter and yeah, more so exciting. Yeah, I mean, Moss military department was founded in 1910, so it really benefited if we can mm. say that from the first world war because it meant that they could really expand with mm. their orders for military clothing and then after the war they tried to get men to come back to get mm. their civilian clothing as well and it was the same after the second world war as well yeah. well luckily that the film's not playing for a moment because it's yeah. a difficult background if anyone hears a background on this there's lots of lovely films to watch but we're just stopping to look at swatches they're absolutely beautiful you've got wonderful swatches material here yeah, well, we want to mm. just give people the chance to maybe look at some of the fabric. And we've got a little display here where people can touch different mm. swatches, look at examples of buttons, and also have a look at different styles of suit. Mm. And we've got this wonderful image here of um, the interior of a Burton shop showing men getting measured for their for their suits and it's blown up quite large so you really feel like you're in the shop which mm. is nice yeah well i'm again i'm you know it's surprising the top color on one of the swatches of social wear is bright pink well yeah we wanted to um Ooh, this, is, this is as well colorful Lovely. so so we've got very traditional swatches here mm. tweed and eve dark evening wear and pinstripe but yeah we've got some colorful stuff as well because a lot of men do like dressing colourfully. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, that, and as I said, we think that started in the 60s, but mm. clearly it was a bit, yeah. a bit earlier. Right, so we've got some Second World War we're going through. Yeah, um, so Burton was very important during the Second World War because it produced a quarter of all service uniforms, which is quite a lot, really. So they were a very important uh, uniform contractor. Mossbrost also, again, provided military clothing. And you can see here this poster from just after the Second World War, um, again, it's another Mossbrost advert trying to entice mm. their military service customers to come back and get their civilian suits. So it's out of battle dress into Mossbrost. I like that very much. And I also like, I think I've heard this before, but the idea that the phrase the full Monty is, is to do with Montague Burton. Yeah, I mean, yeah. people, mm. some people disagree. We've put that in mm. there because it's such a kind mm. of legend, really. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> do you think going for Burton might come from there too? I don't going for Burton is, yeah, yeah that... Yeah, it's to relevant do as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fancy that. They're, they're called Montague Burton and they might manage two <laughs> phrases that have gone into the popular lingo. Yeah. So here we are, um, Cecil G. So we're now in the post-war period and all of a sudden things have changed a bit because we've got 
young people who have more money than ever before. They want to express themselves as consumers. And Cecil G is a quite an important bridge between the austerity period and the explosion of uh, youth culture on Carnaby Street in Kings Road. So Cecil G, he was a tailor in the East End. He had a few shops in the East End. He expanded into the West End in the late 1930s. But after the war, in kind of contrast to austerity clothing, so the demob suit, for example, which was really ridiculed because it was very shapeless and ill-fitting, he introduced Amer the American look into Britain, which was based on the, the style of Hollywood uh, film stars such as Cary Grant. Mm. So these beautiful, we've got an image here of a reconstruction of his suit, wide lapels again, pinstripes very glamorous and the so, shoes and the shoes yeah what are they called correspondent shoes um, the, the, the two-tone shoes it's the whole look i mean the tie yeah, yeah. the shirt the hat everything the hat's lovely yeah. yeah and i mean this actually he abandoned this look in the end because it soon became associated with gangsters and spivs mm. and so on mm. and he moved on to introduce the italian look to britain he spent a few holidays in italy and he was really admired the elegance of italian mm. style so he started to sell italian style clothes he had italian seasons in his shops and it wasn't just a case of selling italian clothes he also had an espresso machine where you could get free oh. coffee he had italian music playing do you know what i'm very impressed by i don't know much about you know these people as individuals, but mm. it says here he was born in Lithuania in 1903. Mm -hmm. So everything we're talking about, you've said it, he's 53 now. Yes. When he's already so pioneering. Yeah, this. yeah. I mean, I have read that um, when he pioneered this look. I mean, this yes, Italian look. Yeah. I mean, I've read quite a bit about him, and I think one thing that people say is he was. I mean, I could be wrong, but I think. He wasn't necessarily like the most stylish man himself, but he had a real eye for design. He had kind of a lot of. Um, intuition about what would be popular mm. I guess but also he was quite daring so in the 30s he was selling colorful colorful shirts at a time when shirts were usually just white or gray so he was really on the ball with what was going on that's the other thing you have to be impressed by the staying power of of these people mm. and again you know you we, we sort of think we've explained why Jews and tailoring works but it seems like mm. all the top tailoring for these big tailoring firms are run by Jews. Yeah, I mean, you could argue, obviously, we're in the Jewish Museum, so yeah. we've picked mm. the ones that are Jewish, but I think you can say that if you look at the main developments within high street fashion, quite often there are Jews there at the mm. top. <laughs> it's just interesting. I mean, you've talked about the eye. Maybe that's just something that, mm. that you know, it's quite common for, for, for Jews to have. I yeah. don't know. I'm talk we're talking about tailoring here, obviously. Right, yeah. there's a whole lot of interesting I'm jackets. I'm going to talk about this one quickly, because mm. uh, following on from Cecil G. So this is the item of clothing we've got from Cecil G. And this jacket was actually worn by John Lennon oh, in the it? early 60s. Oh, is it suede? Um, it's suede. Um, it's a very casual brown suede, suede yeah. jacket. The exhibition's been quite difficult in a way, because a lot of this clothing hasn't really survived, because it's sold on the high street. So people don't necessarily keep the clothing that they buy on the high street. So this is one of the few things that we were able to find for Cecil G. And what it really represents is Cecil G's uh, relationship with music, actually, because a lot of musicians went to Cecil G. You know, he was in the West End, he was next to all of the jazz clubs. And the Beatles were photographed going to Cecil G um, in the early 60s after a BBC recording session. And at some point, John bought, bought this jacket and he wore it during the recording of With the Beatles and on tour as well. 
practically brings tears to my eyes because it's so beautiful, you know, as a thought, and, you know, to reminisce about it, yeah. and I'm very sentimental <laughs> about the Beatles. <laughs> and that poster, gosh, I recognise that. The I Was Lord yeah. Kitchener's Valet poster, that was everywhere. That it, looks, it looks like the well, Your so Country Needs You poster. Yeah, so this mm. is actually, it's actually a shop sign for the mm. shop I Was Lord Kitchener's Valet, mm. and obviously it's based on the famous recruitment poster mm. for, from World War One. I. I Was Lord Kitchener's Valet, they were originally in Notting Hill and then Carnaby Street, mm. and they sold vintage clothing, particularly vintage military clothing. Their customers included Jimi Hendrix and Mick Jagger, and I can see images in my mind, particularly of Jimi Hendrix, and, and he sort of wore those military jackets, but yeah. they flew away from him as he played. Yeah, so the director of I Was Lord Kitchener's Valley, mm. he was wearing that jacket in the shop, and Jimi Hen Hendrix <laughs> came in and bought it off him for much, much more than he'd originally paid for it. <laughs> wow, now who was he? Now who's this director? He's called Robert Allback, mm. yeah. So mm. he was the director in... Yeah. He was the one with the vision who started it. He didn't start the company, no. I think. He, no. he was running the shop in Carnaby Street. Oh, um, okay. And he's still around. He's coming to the oh, private view tonight. Lovely, so. lovely. <laughs> and now we're on to the 60s and yeah. the mods and the boutique revolution and the bit that some of us remember. Yeah, so... <laughs> Carnaby Street, a lot of the companies on Carnaby Street were Jewish. This is one of the first ones that was founded on Carnaby Street. It was Paul's Boutique. That was established by um, Nat and Susie Spiegel. And then we've got a lovely illustration here from 1970, which shows the facades of um, Carnaby Street. And I think at least four of these shops are Jewish. So we've got Mates, which was set up by Irvin Sellers. I was Lord Kitchener's valet. Take Six, which was set up by Sidney Brent, Lord John, which was Warren and David Gold. So we've got a real Jewish presence on Carnaby Street. And if anybody wants to know what this picture looks like, just think of the cover of Sergeant Pepper or some of the psychedelic mm. covers yeah. of, of uh, LPs, and it, it's that feel to it. I mean, I'm sure I can see John Lennon there in, in shades, and look, that one with the yeah. moustache must yeah, be John yeah, Lennon. Yeah. Uh, it's just fantastic. I mean, I would come and see this exhibition just to see that, actually. <laughs> I think it's wonderful. We've got some mod suits. So We've got one that was tailored by Harry Bill Gorry. He was an East End tailor who, quite interestingly, in the early 60s, he was the tailor that people like Mark Bolan or Mark Feld, mm. as he was known then, went to because he would make suits exactly as the customers wanted them. At that time, it was difficult for young men to get the clothing they wanted in shops like Burton. So he provided a really important service in getting the detailing that they wanted. It's so sharp, isn't it, the mm. suit? I mean, it's absolutely wonderful. I'm not it's sort of tweedy, isn't it? Sort of blue-grey yeah, tweed. I mean, it's a, it's a, it, this suit actually dates from 1966, mm. so it's a bit later, um, and it's a little bit different to your typical mod suit because the fabric is quite heavy, it's like wool. Mm. Um, we've also got four buttons mm. rather than the classical three, but it's still got that kind of look of um, smartness and crispness to it. I love the very narrow lapels. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the mm. narrow tie as well, which yeah. completes the look. Men go back into this look it is a fabulous look and it's very slimming yeah <laughs> if you're slim yeah and we've got another mod suit here from the high sh the carnaby street shop take six which they were known for producing things that were maybe a little bit better quality because obviously with carnaby street what happens is fashions are coming thick and fast it's really changing from the 30s where you bought a suit to last fashion is becoming much faster things are things are changing very quickly this is actually quite a good we've got this beautiful um narrow style suit here um, we, we call we call that sort of art inspired by india then by pandit Nero. yeah and um 
Lord John who made who sold this suit they were particularly known for responding to style new styles quite quickly and this style became really um, popular after the Beatles went to India so presumably this dates from just after then we must describe it it's gold brocade isn't it with mm. the wonderful pink and turquoise and let's say sand coloured yes. flowers on it and again I want it <laughs> yeah and it's a very noticeable difference from everything mm. that's come before in this exhibition all of a sudden men can wear well, they become peacocks, really. Totally, can, totally, yeah. yes. I wish our men folk would all walk down the street in those now, <laughs> or at least go out to parties in yeah. them. <laughs> and, of course, ties are the one opportunity that men really do have to be bright and colourful, mm. aren't they? And yeah. well, shirts as well, I suppose. But here you've got a whole case of shirts and ties that are... Yeah, we've got Ben Sherman shirts. Ben Sherman, he was born in Brighton. He was originally, um, his surname was Sugarman. And what's interesting about him is that he went to America for a number of years and then came back to Britain. And what he did was he brought the American styles back to Britain, particularly the button-down shirt, which became really popular with mods in the 60s, and then later on, skinheads. So it has this quite interesting history. Mm. Except that it's quite sensible, isn't it, a button-down shirt? Mm. It is. I mean, unfortunately, we don't have a really kind of classic Ben Sherman shirt here. Like to kind of show the colour that mm. a lot of his shirts had. We have quite a kind of um, subdued one here. Yes, um, but again, unfortunately, not many of them have survived. It's been quite difficult to get examples yeah. of that oh, kind of thing. Well, if anyone listening, yeah. bring your Ben Sherman's <laughs> shirt immediately to the Jewish <laughs> Museum, where curator Elizabeth Selby will be <laughs> waiting for you with open arms. But this one's O'Donnell coloured, and, and it's got epaulettes as well, and I like it. Yes, yeah, it's, it's very nice. And Mr. Fish, the very yeah. famous Mr. Fish. I don't, but for a minute I thought he was Jewish. Well, his father was Jewish and he definitely identified as mm. Jewish. This is a, one of his kipper ties, which he invented and became very popular in the 70s. Um, it's beautifully, it's very colourful and flamboyant. Mm. And it, it's practically like a Celia Birtwell print, maybe it even is, but if people want to imagine, it's sort of almost Ossie Clark looking, isn't it? Mm. You know, the sort of uh, geometric... Slightly yeah. geometric shapes of flowers yes, and leaves. Yeah, very but patterned. Yeah. 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 Orange and purple and cream and black yeah. and white. Uh, again, I want to see people wearing them. <laughs> <laughs> you should have a fashion show at some point. Are you That'd not having great. one? You should yeah. get all these stuff yeah, things no, out. Yeah. Well, hopefully tonight at the private view we'll have a bit of a fashion mm. view. Mm. Um, just behind you here we've Ooh. got a Mr mm. Fish suit. Just here. Oh, right. Just going past the granny tape with takes a trip suit yeah. again a wonderful name yeah granny mm. takes a trip one king's road so mm. carnaby street started to become quite commercialized and the really fashionable street ended up you know moving mm. towards king's road granny takes a trip were known for their kind of psychedelic hippie style clothing this suit that we've got from them is maybe a little bit different it's a bright bright red suit mm. it's got this lovely braid which kind of gives a very sense of a military style which was very popular um, in the late 60s and 70s this like military vintage look was really coming in yes and it's bright red I mean again who yeah. wouldn't want to see their man in a yeah. bright red suit and with cream braid the interesting <laughs> thing is we actually had to use a child's mannequin for this one because it was just the the waist was just tiny absolutely tiny but somebody wore it yeah. and do you know what we haven't mentioned at all flared trousers this one's mm. got flared trousers which was the big 60s thing yeah anyone I mean, they're not as flared mm. as some some you've seen but yeah it's definitely giving yeah. that 
got that yep. look, hasn't yep. it? Even if it's 1970, yep. I think flares were very much there in 1970. Now we really are on to oh, this. May be the stand-up piece of the whole exhibition. This suit designed and worn by Mr. Fish. That's the answer. Yeah. He wore it himself. He wore it himself. Yeah. I mean, we've also got a photograph of him in the exhibition. You can see how flamboyant he was himself. His clothes were very luxurious. They were mm. high-end, quite eccentric in a way. But what we have here is someone who really knows about historic tailoring so there's a lot of historic depth to it so you've got like a kind of reminiscence of the the smoking jacket and so on so he's using um, traditional techniques but then adding this very modern twist so you've got these beautiful blue um, hipster kind of style trousers but they have turquoise blue blue, but you have the the classical kind of black uh, line along the the trousers yes yes I missed that so you've got another dinner jacket Mm. here which has the Mm. same feature and the granny takes a trip has the same thing yes they've all seemed to have you know yes stripe down the trouser leg but the jacket I mean I, I don't know how to describe it I mean it's it's black mm. with gold and turquoise orchids almost aren't they mm. it's beautiful yeah, flowers yeah mm. uh, trumpet flowers really almost I mean it is absolutely stunning because the curve of the flower is so perfect for the curve of the garment isn't it yes yeah mm. it really um, emphasizes the shape of it and then there's the frogging to do it up with just one bit of frogging so that's Michael Fish um, what a legend yeah yeah definitely so when did he first appear um, the late 60s mm. I think but I mean he was working for Turnbull and Asser previous to that as a shirt maker um, and then he set up his own business in Mayfair oh, well that shows doesn't it I mean he yeah. obviously yeah, he, he did his apprenticeship yeah. didn't he yes yeah. he did yeah and yeah, so now we're at the, the very last suit that we have in the exhibition, which is very recent, from 2015, which is from Top Man. So the last part of the exhibition shows how the growth of youth culture affected the high street and the really traditional high street shops like Burton. So Burton, um, they took a little while to move on from their, their kind of made-to-measure brand that they had. But in the late 60s, the company, which had become the Burton Group, founded Top Shop, and then later on they founded Top Man. Mm. Which, of course, we can, now we all remember that, don't we? Mm. So, ah, that's a lovely ad, isn't it? A guy on a bicycle that says Mr. Burt, and he's got lovely long 60s, 70s yeah. hair, hasn't he? Yeah, this is an advertising image for a kind of youth concession that Burton tried to establish in the early 70s called Mr. Burt. It wasn't particularly successful, which is why they then went on to establish Top Man, which was really, um, you can really see how high street shops were creating different segments of their brand for different parts of the market. This wonderful moving picture. Oh, there's a whole lot of wonderful sketches. Yeah, this is a film that we made um, with a group of young people with a company called Chocolate Films. I love it. Yeah, it was it was great actually. So we got a group of about five young people who were interested in fashion and film, and they learned about the themes of the exhibition and they really brainstormed an idea for the film. And what we've what they've done is a film about um, suits as a future. So they invited people to come in, make drawings of what they thought suits would look like in the future and to talk about them as well. And we've got some examples of the drawings here. Well, they're, they're absolutely really lovely. I'm particularly <laughs> liking the same suit, but it's in red, blue and green. And I'm talking bright red, blue yeah. and green. Yeah, fantastic. Mm, that's, a, that's a lovely way to end it because it's yes. looking forward. Maybe there are those looking Jewish forward, tailors yeah. of the future, bespoke tailors or whatever. Well, yeah, and I think <laughs> another thing that's quite interesting is that a lot of people's comments about what suits as a, of the future would look like is, is a lot about sustainability and the environment mm. and the fact that we don't, we don't have many resources, mm. which I think is quite interesting because at the moment we're so... 
fashion is so fast, mm. it's using a lot of resources, and that can't really continue. But we can recycle old material. I've got yes. dresses made of old material. I'm yeah. sure suits can be... And I've, in fact, I've got dresses made of old suitings. Yeah, well, <laughs> I think that's becoming... Well, mm. it is really fashionable to do that, to recycle, mm. to customise. Yeah. yeah, and so that's the future. And what, when then you've just, what I thought was where I was supposed to hang my coat, and suddenly I've realised it's not. As you walk <laughs> in or out of the exhibition, it's a... Yeah, we've just a got some nice examples of clothing for people to try mm. on after the exhibition. Oh, is that what it is? Yes, it's what a try-on on, try area. Oh, yeah. I'm sure people will be trying on this wonderful turquoise... I don't know what it is actually. It's, oh, it's, it's being made so you can just put it on over your yes, head. Yes, it yeah. would, would be a shot silk turquoise yeah. and blue. This is uh, actually shirt. one of my colleagues has actually actually done this herself. So Make she's taken them. a shirt. Oh, she's yeah. a she studied fashion design. So That's wonderful. Yeah. And there's several ties to try on and some jackets, including yeah, we've got a, a, a dress, a tailcoat, mm. and uh, an RAF jacket. I think this is going to be very popular about at the end yeah, of the exhibition. Hopefully, hopefully. Right. Yeah. Perhaps I shall do it myself now. Anyway, thank you so much, you're Elizabeth. Welcome. It's a stunning exhibition and nobody should miss it. And if you're a woman, you must bring your man <laughs> yeah. because yeah. you'll want to change his look if, unless it's bright, as bright as some of this stuff. Yeah, I yeah, think. yeah, sure. <laughs> thank you. Here's an extract from one of those poems that Emoses and Son love to have to advertise their goods. If to Moses and Son you repair, you'll readily make this admission that the dresses provided you there prevent you a fine exhibition. The garments of Moses and Son are found in a perfect condition. No one in London should shun the dress in this fine exhibition. E. Moses and Son, you will find, have made not the slightest omission. There are cheapness and value combined in the dress of the fine exhibition. Then haste to our noted depot and better your present condition by paying exceedingly low for dress at the fine exhibition.